Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 154 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is tournament time. Duke played, what did we play? North Dakota State. <laughs> I should really be more prepared, huh? The bison. Uh, come on, the come on. Bison. Come on, Duke played North Dakota State last night, and we are bringing you a special podcast to recap the first game of the tournament and preview our second game against Central Florida, Johnny Dawkins' boys. But uh, before we get to any of that, I want to thank our sponsors, of course, as always, Bird Campbell Law Firm. Bird Campbell means business. You know them. You love them. They love Duke. And uh, our good friends at GTHCGTH.com, the the guys who bring you those fabulous, fabulous T-shirts that are all about hating on Carolina. Um, And I also, of course, need to bring in my partners in crime. Joining me, by the way, I'm Jason Evans. I should say who the heck I am. Yes, I am Jason. And joining me, as always, Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, how's it going? It's going all right. Um, last night, it was it was actually kind of uh, hard to stay up to watch the, the end of the games because they were kind of, you know, over by the time, you know, we were ready to start talking about them. But uh, I am glad that March Madness is here, and I'm glad that we were 1-0 yesterday. Yes, that is what matters. Six and zero at this point is all that matters. Sam Klein, Sam, you in Durham? Yes, I'm in Durham. Uh, I just wanted to give uh, give my my warmest regards to Fargo, North Dakota, a city a city that I visited this summer and the home of North Dakota State and the Bison. There we go. So let's get right to it, gentlemen. We will start by talking about uh, the Duke Blue Devils um, handily defeating the number 16 seed North Dakota State Bison. Final score was 85 to 62. To me, the more significant score was the second half, which was Duke winning 54 to 35. And it really, it was actually way worse than that because North Dakota State scored a lot of points in the final, you know, seven to 10 minutes when Duke was playing the bottom end of the bench. Um, uh, really stellar defensive effort in this game. At least that's what that's my story of the game. Um, gentlemen, I will go to you first. Uh, Sam, tell me what you took away from from this contest. Do you agree with me that um, th- even though Duke scored 85 points, the story of this game was Duke's defense? Absolutely. Duke's defense led the way here, even in the early going where um, Duke wasn't really able to generate offense. It did seem it did seem for a few minutes like the Blue Devils were resorting to this this chucking pattern that we know doesn't work for them this year. We, we have, we have concluded that this is not a good three point shooting team and that they're going to score by getting the ball inside, not keeping it out. But on the defensive end, you can just see the, the overwhelming athleticism from Duke, particularly actually in the second half where uh, Duke decided, all right, it's time to create those points off turnovers. And uh, they were, they were pressuring the bison at, at half court at three quarters court. Trey Jones decided to, um, Decided to really turn it up on the on North Dakota State's lead guard Shahid, I think was his name. Um, as soon as Duke decided that that was that was the way to go, then uh, the Bison didn't really have a didn't really have a response to that, and that's what produced a lot of the a lot of the best highlights from last night. Uh, you saw R.J. Barrett and uh, Zion Williamson getting in on the action on the on the big steals and the and the breakaway dunks. Uh, that that's where that's where most of the energy came from on the Duke end. Donald, what about you? Uh, talk to me about the offense really quick. We we struggled in the first half. Um, uh, Coach K said that Duke turned into a team, which is not our profile, uh, and and I, I have to agree. That's that's what I saw. It was very frustrating at times, wasn't it? Yeah, and really for the first few minutes, um, 
we, we focused on the three ball. And as we all know, this season, that has not been our strong suit, but it seemed like the team wanted to try and get a couple of three pointers down. Because if you guys recall, there have been a couple of games this year where we knocked the three ball down early and that is the sets the course for a path that we're never looking back. And I think that's what they were trying to do to kind of take North Dakota state out of the game early. And it just wasn't falling. So what do we do? We went back to going inside because that's our bread and butter, especially with Zion Williamson. RJ Barrett was getting inside. We had 42 points in the paint. And I think that is when we start to turn it around and started generating more offensive, really the momentum for our defense, because our defense was really good as well. Um, when we started making those uh, inside, you know, four to six footers, when we started doing jumpers, that's when our, our shooting percentage was down. But because of those shots in the paint, we shot 50% for the game. Yeah, I should say way. also that on North Dakota State was very focused on um, on stay, on packing it in and letting Duke shoot and not allowing penetration. There were a lot of times there, especially in the first half, where Zion or Barrett would would get deep in the hole and they'd have they'd have three guys right on top of them. So you know, Zion Williamson is going to is going to overwhelm any North Dakota State player one on one, but not necessarily one on three. And that that's where they were doing a good job and Duke realized that they were, you know, that's where that, that change happened where they realized they were going to have to get out and transition if they were going to attack the basket because North Dakota State wasn't going to let that happen. Yeah, a couple of things I noted. Um, first of all, uh, Donald's absolutely right about Duke taking those three-pointers early. Four of Duke's first six shots were three-point attempts. Uh, and, and for a team that really lives by hitting a huge percentage of their two-point shots, it was a little surprising to see Duke come out and, and sort of immediately fall into the trap because, uh, honestly, that's what every team in the tournament is going to try and do. The, the, the way to, uh, Duke's the best team in the tournament. Everyone knows it. The way to beat them is to make them shoot from the perimeter. Uh, and not let them get inside. And and I was a little surprised that Duke started out the tournament very first game against a vastly, vastly inferior team. I mean, no offense, North Dakota State doing everything they can, but they were 19 and 16 on the season, and just they aren't that good. Um, uh, you know, for Duke to come out against a vastly inferior team and immediately start shooting three-pointers, I was bothered by it. Um, but but I, I I like that they they righted the ship, that they figured out, what they need to do to succeed. And, and to me, one of the interesting things about this game was, you know, Duke won going away. Uh, it was nice that we got to play our bench a, a lot late. I mean, look, when you see Joey Baker getting seven minutes, Antonio Vrankovic and, Vrankovic and, and Justin Robinson getting four minutes each, when you see Trey Jones only playing 30 minutes, if the game's close, Trey plays every single second of the game. So for Trey to only mm -hmm. play 30, that tells you what the, what this game was like. Um, deep in the second half. But the, the thing I was going to say was I, I like that that Duke won easily in a game where we really didn't play that well on offense. And it wasn't just the sl shot selection. I mean, I saw R.J. Barrett, um, uh, Marquise Bolden, uh, Javin Delorier. A, a, a lot of guys missed shots that I was like, oh, wow, they, they usually make that shot. R.J. Barrett especially missed some shots. And it wasn't that they were bad shots. It wasn't that he was doing anything wrong. Just sometimes the ball, you know, rattles around a little bit and comes out. I mean, Marquise Bolden missed a little jump hook that you could see he was like shocked that it didn't go down. It hit the rim about 15 different times before, before missing. And I, it's because so, they're not playing. It's because they're not playing on those soft Cameron rims. Don't you know they, about that? Jason? Exactly. There you go. No, but the thing to me is I'm, I'm glad. So here we still win by 23 points. We still, I mean, essentially we won by 30 plus points. And and we had a game where we weren't hitting a lot of the shots we're going to hit. 
we can hit them later on. <laughs> I'll the save other, those. Put those the, babies in the bank for later. There was another interesting thing I thought early in the game. Did you guys notice that Duke wasn't really going for offensive rebounds in the first 10, 12 minutes of the game? They were basically taking the one shot and then conceding it. And shooting three-pointers and not going for offensive rebounds isn't really a, a winning strategy for basically anybody, unless you're like the best three-point shooting team ever. That's uh, a good so, point, Sam. Um, because early in the at halftime when they interviewed Coach K, he mentioned that they had been out-rebounded, and it was 19-14, the margin at halftime. And I think in the second, and they only had one offensive rebound in the entire first half. It's good, to like, know that, it's good to know that Coach K has useful halftime interview insights. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's funny. It's great that that you were on the same wavelength as he was. That that speaks well to your knowledge and, and what you were seeing in the game because it was exactly what was going on. I mean, with those three pointers, they were just hoping they were going in, and if not, hey, we'll just get them back on defense. And there's a stretch where we would go down, shoot a three, miss it, go down, have a ridiculous defensive stand or a steal uh, or a block or something like that, and then go down and do the same thing over again and just kind of hope it worked at halftime. It seemed like we abandoned that and said, let's just go with the paint. Let's, let's punish them. Let's, let's end this game because we have uh, a, a lot of games to worry about, especially this one coming up on Sunday. And, and we just went inside the paint. We were getting rebounds. We outscored the, or we out rebounded them 24 to 15 in the second half. So th that sort of thing that we, you know, we were establishing our presence in that second half, especially the first 10 minutes. Well, and and if we're going to talk about the first 10 minutes of the second half, we have to talk about that there were two ridiculous things that happened very early in the second half that took a reasonably close game into being a game where Duke was winning by by easily double digits into Are the team. Are you going to mention Zion? Because I think Zion did something Zion-like. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was just going to talk about Zion. So Duke sort of – we start out the second half. Zion gets a basket. He gets fouled. He misses the free throw, <laughs> and they didn't box out the shooter. I, I I was I saw this play, and I went I went. I remember when my son was in fourth grade, and I was coaching his team, and I was like, "Box out the free throw shooter! Don't forget to box out the free throw shooter." Especially, especially and in, Williamson. And in, well, and in college, it's especially egregious because the because the offensive team only has three guys inside the three point line when you shoot a free throw. So, mm -hmm. like, yes, there's you have numbers to do it. Yeah. So uh, for some reason, he missed the free throw. You know what it was? It was a really bad free throw. Like that thing was a good foot short. <laughs> he barely caught the front of the rim. But because of that, it came off really hard and quickly. And it went right to Zion and he immediately dunked it. And then the very next play was, uh, did you guys see the way Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith reacted to this play? I'm talking, of course, about the play where Zion, he tips the ball. He outruns the North Dakota State point guard to the ball gets it, goes behind his back, falls down, but catches himself with his hand, gets up and makes a layup. It was like, it was otherworldly, uh, you know, and we've said that about Zion again and again and again. My uh, my prediction, Jason, yes. that makes that makes one shining moment because if you look at it in slow motion, that is keyed up to have Luther Vandross singing behind it. Yes, yes, I it agree. Looked like, it looked like when, when you watch uh, figure skating, and the figure skater like doesn't land the the jump, but they still have to recover and keep going. Mm -hmm. That was that was like it was it was like fully in rhythm that he did the fall uh, and came right back up. Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith in the post game, like they they were like, I've never seen anything that athletic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's uh, and, and that's Charles Barkley speaking. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Barkley, by the way, said that he thinks Zion. He was like 
it's not fair for this guy to be playing against college kids. He was like, he said he's only seen two players in his lifetime who were ready out of high school to play in the NBA. He said LeBron James and Zion Williamson are the only two players he's seen who were so physically mature, so physically dominant that they didn't need to play in college. And, uh, you know, it's hard to watch what Zion does and not agree with that. <laughs> he was, it, it was just crazy how, how much, uh, how physically dominant he was in this game. And I think it's fairly likely we're going to see the same thing in Duke's next game. This edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you by our friend Kenny Denard and GTHCGTH.com. That stands for, of course, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell.com. GTHCGTH.com has all kinds of t-shirts and other apparel that contain those fabulous initials that tell the world what you think of the horrible Tar Heels. And they've added a new design. Folks, you need to see. They've got something that talks about Duke's quest for a setting their sights on their sixth national title, the, uh, I guess, sixth site or something like that is... Sites <laughs> on six. Sites on six. That's what it is. Thank you so much. It's a tre- it's a trending hashtag. I've seen the Duke basketball Twitter um, with their sites on six hashtag. And, uh, and gtheggth.com has t-shirts that have the sites on six um, hashtag on them. So you too can support the Blue Devils. They're going to be shipping those starting in just the next couple days. Go to gthegth.com and check them out and tell them the guys from the DVR podcast sent you. All right, Sam and Donald, after dispatching North Dakota State, Duke has uh, the matchup that I think everyone, when they looked at the bracket, they said, oh, this would be a compelling storyline. Sometimes the NCAA tries to set up those storylines and they succeeded because you have the Blue Devils playing Central Florida, the UCF Knights, and unless you've been sleeping under a rock, uh, uh, you must know that Central Florida is coached by none other than Johnny Dawkins, who was the original great recruit for the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, he's the man who, to some extent, started it all for Coach K. Um, he was the first guy to commit in the um, uh, the famous uh, uh, class that then turned into um, Coach K's first Final Four team. Um, and Johnny Dawkins uh, ha- also has a really, really interesting, compelling player uh, on this UCF team by the name of Taco Fall. Taco Fall is seven foot six inches, seven six. It sometimes looks like when he's playing that he's like the older brother playing with his younger brother and his younger brother's friends playing basketball. I- I've got a good comparison for you. Taco Fall is as much taller than Zion Williamson as Zion is taller than Sam. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is that accurate? Although that's accurate. We might, need to, we might need to test this out. We might need to Hold get on. you guys Let's the see the numbers here. Taco Fall is 7'6". How tall are you, Sam? Yes. Uh, I'm almost 5'6". I'm almost 5'6". I think my driver's okay. license is 5'5". Zion, Zion is six seven, so I'm off by maybe half an inch. <laughs> yeah, this works. Taco for, is uh, much taller. This works for Joey Baker. Does this work for Joey Baker? It does work for Joey Baker. Yeah, let's okay. go with that. So Taco Fall is as much taller than Joey Baker as Joey is taller than Sam. Taco Yikes. Fall, you know, 
The the crazy thing about Taco Fall, he hit 75% of his shots. Like we think Zion, we think Zion hits a lot of his shots. Taco Fall hits 75% of his shots. But Jason, but Jason, talk about it. Jason, talk about the free throw dunks. shooting. Do the free throw oh, shooting. Yeah. Oh boy. 36%. Wow. And he gets fouled a lot. He gets fouled a lot. His his sheer size changes everything you do in the lane. Um, and now he's not a guy. He doesn't have a lot of good lateral movement. He basically just he stands in the lane. He stands really underneath the basket, and he prevents you from getting shots at the rim because he's so huge. And this is, I mean, this is going to be an amazing immovable object versus irresistible force situation because uh, Central Florida is one of the best teams in the country at stopping teams from taking and shooting two-point shots. Teams don't hit their two-point shots against Central Florida because Taco Fall is in there blocking everything. Um, and actually, it's not even that he blocks everything. It's that he forces you to take a different – to change your shot in an effort not to get blocked. 7-6 seven, six, seven, six is a lot of space. It takes up a lot, he takes yeah. up a lot of room in the paint. So um, yeah. you got to get around it. Jason, uh, before the podcast, we were uh, – Sam and I were chatting about, about Taco, um, and we were talking about – at the end, did you see the play at the end of the first half where they were trying to set up a play for him? And and uh, and VCU yes, basically and put, like, three guys. Hit, was, had three guys with their hands all the way up. And he still <laughs> was a foot taller than them, just like, yo, yo, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. They actually didn't give him the ball, but they even talked about it uh, with Johnny Dawkins at halftime. They said, hey, was that play set, set up for him? And he was like, well, yeah, it's Taco. Um, it's so like, have you, that, have you seen this guy? Yeah, <laughs> but it's really funny yeah, how right. – because <laughs> here's the thing about Taco. Like, you've seen guys in college, you've seen guys in the NBA who are seven foot six, and have – he's 310 pounds, so he's a lot bigger than some of these guys that you've seen over the years that are that tall. But he also has that coordination. It's not like he's just standing around and just, you know, just a set of you know, toothpicks just trying to stay on the stay upright. He is, you know, he has his coordination, he has his footwork and that's why he's been so effective this year. Yeah, although he he's not someone who's mobile. I mean, correct. Let's, yes, let's not correct. get confused. He's not right. he's not I, like Boy I, Hibbert. I, he's he's he, he he can't exactly move around. Right. 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 But he's also right. not uh, that guy that played it was a few years ago that was like 7-9 but like looked like a young horse. Like when they were born, they're trying to stand up and they keep falling down. Like he's not going to be blown over. <laughs> and, and the other thing about Taco, here's the thing. Uh, after the game, they were talking about his matchup with Zion in the second round. And he goes, well, Zion's not going to posterize me. Um, well, Taco, good luck with that because I'm pretty sure that challenge was accepted um, by by the guy we know as Thanos Williamson. And uh, we'll see if that actually comes to play on Sunday. Yeah, and by the way, uh, you know, uh, it's fun to talk about Taco a lot, and he's he's a game-changing kind of player. When he's in the game, you need to account for him, especially uh, when you're playing offense and he's playing defense. But uh, th they did not get to this point merely because of him. I mean, Taco only plays about 25 minutes a game, um, and th this is a, a, they have a good team surrounding him, um, led by uh, two guys in the backcourt, Aubrey Dawkins, who is Johnny Dawkins' son, who was, he was originally at Michigan. He transferred from Michigan to Central Florida. I'm sorry, to South Florida when his father took over as the coach there. And, uh, and they've also got a guy named B.J. Taylor, 
um, who, who's, uh, who's a guard for them. Good three-point shooters. They're both athletic. They slash the basket well. They're capable of elevating and putting you on a poster. They don't turn the ball over very much at all. Um, and, uh, and this is a team that's content very much to take its time on offense. They, they play a, a fairly slow tempo, um, uh, and, and they work the ball around until they get a good shot. Um, they shoot fairly well from three, not like great, but they're pretty good three point shooting team. Um, uh, I, I don't think that, you know, this is gonna be another easy win for Duke. Um, ESPN's BPI gives Duke about a 91% chance of winning this game. Um, that's a, those are great odds. I'll take that. 90% chance is good, but don't forget, 90% chance means you lose 10% of the time. So uh, this, this Central Florida team is, they're not bad. I think the biggest thing for me is I don't think they've played anyone. I don't think they played anyone, A, who, who plays at the pace that Duke does, but I, they, they just haven't played a team that has the kind of athletes that Duke does. That's not that surprising. I mean, Duke's probably the most athletic team in the country. But um, when you look at South Florida's uh, opponents, you know, they played Houston. Houston, very, very good. Um, they played teams like Temple and Cincinnati. But they haven't really played power five schools. They haven't played a team that, you know, where the third and fourth guys on the floor are as athletic as as Trey Jones and Cam Reddish and stuff like that. Um, and, and I really wonder, you know, even if Taco Fall is able to somewhat influence a little bit of what Zion Williamson does at the rim, and I kind of doubt that he will. But if Taco Fall is able to do that, I'm, I'm wondering how South Florida is going to handle, you know, someone like an R.J. Barrett um, uh, when when he's slashing and, and doing what he needs to do. Uh, it, it would also be nice if if we get the Duke that hits more than 20% of their threes. Uh, Sam, you got anything on this game? Just that UCF, you, you noted that UCF probably just hasn't played a team like Duke yet. Um, UCF plays pretty slow. They're, they're in the bottom 50 or so in the country in tempo. Um, and and it's not like there's a, you know, th- this is obviously not a Virginia team that is like the most hyper efficient at that slow pace. So UCF doesn't really give themselves a lot of chances playing that style to to pick off a a really good team in Duke that is efficient. Um, so so I'm I'm going to be watching the um, the tempo of the game and seeing if Duke is forced to slow it down like they sort of were in the first half against North Dakota state. I hope that that's not the case because that's, that's where maybe UCF's um, use of fall in particular is, is where Duke becomes vulnerable. Instead, I, I hope that Duke is turning them, is trying to turn them over, even though they're, they they do not give the ball up that often trying to turn them over and, and accelerate the pace and, and get UCF back on their heels because that's where, uh, that's where the blue devils take advantage and hopefully um, don't have to play the full 40 in the same way that they did last night, right? We're we're happy that that Joey Baker and and all the rest of the guys got to play those last five six minutes of the game, um, so that you can get Trey Jones and R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson down on the bench, and they don't have to overexert as we hopefully look ahead at at the tournament next weekend. Although I don't I don't want to presume anything. Right, right, yeah. Let's. It's one game at a time at this point. We all agree about that. But really, really quick, I want to mention something. Then I'm gonna get it to Donald. Let him wrap up our comments on South Florida. But um, it's really Central easy Florida. to Central think Florida. South Florida is not a Gen- tournament. <laughs> oh, correct. sorry. I apologize. You only did it You're one right. other time. It's fine. 
<laughs> ah, I'm getting my I'm getting my football national champions confused with. <laughs> no, these are the football with South national Florida. Champions. No, right, these right. are the football national champions. Oh. <laughs> the same guys, exact same guys. Crazy, isn't it? Disney. They're in Disney. Disney. Okay. Disney. <laughs> I'm going to continue. It's weird uh, because it's weird because Central Florida is in Orlando and South and University of South Florida is in Tampa and and Tampa is just west of Orlando. So. I don't There's know what's going on. South about Tampa. Yeah. I, well, well, there is something very south about Tampa, but, that's, but not that's Florida. Sort of a, that's like, that's a cultural Miami. thing. That's not a. That's not a direction. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how Florida decided on these like official geographies, um, because because I feel like Miami and Fort Myers are like south, um, but but Fort Myers is where Florida Gulf Coast is. That's a totally different thing uh, that we're not talking about. So, uh, J- Sam, as someone who lived in Miami, I will, you have now figured out something that everyone in Florida already knows. In Florida, there's Florida, and then there's Miami. And Miami is not a part of Florida, and Florida is not a part of Miami. And that's why South Florida is so far north of actual South Florida. Like like hours north of, yes. of Miami. <laughs> Many but anyway, hours. Jason, go ahead. <laughs> so I was going to very, very quickly say it, it is easy to think that Central Florida is nothing but uh, this Taco Fall and and the way they play when he's in the game. Uh, one thing I noted in their game um, uh, against Virginia Commonwealth that they won the other day, and, and I've seen them play one other time this year, not a whole game. I saw portions of the game because uh, I wanted to watch Taco Fall because how can you not want to watch a seven foot six guy? Uh, when Fall only plays, he gets tired and he only plays about 25 minutes a game. His replacement is um, a six nine center named Chad Brown. Um, who's actually a pretty nice player. He, he Chad, Chad blocks shots, and um, he's fairly good in the post. And when Taco Fall goes out of the game, they play at a much faster pace. They start going up and down the floor a good bit more. And it's going to be really interesting to see. How, there's going to be probably somewhere in the range of 12 to 15 minutes that Taco Fall's not in the game. And it may be if Duke is having trouble uh, at the rim, when Taco falls in there, uh, it'll be interesting to see if we if we try and take advantage of the fact when he's not. Um, but I'm telling you, this kid Chad Brown is is not bad, and and I won't be surprised if he has a couple moments in the game where you go, "Wow, that kid, uh, he can play." Um, anyway, Donald, I, I will now give it to you. Do the last word. Tell me what you have um, previewing this game. Yeah, it, it, you mentioned a little bit of it with the you know the inside presence when Taco Fall does come out of the game. There. I mean, uh, you had you mentioned Chad Brown, but they also have Colin Smith. Colin Smith only played eight minutes against uh, VCU last night. So really after that, it really goes back to, yes, we should be able to get into the paint. Even when Taco Falls in the game, we should be able to get into the paint and get our opportunities. But one thing I will note, UCF does shoot the ball fairly well from three-point against VCU. They shot 64%, which is terrific. They don't take that many, but they're very efficient when they do. So our perimeter defense has to be on point because we don't want to give up any open threes and keep let them stay in the ballgame. This edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you, as always, by our fine friends, a pair of Dukies, Bird Campbell, the Bird Campbell Law Firm. You know uh, what you need to know about these guys if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. They are uh, faithful supporters of ours, and you can find them if you are in Florida or Texas in need of some legal work and you want some geniuses from Duke to do it for you. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. 
Guys, we're about to wrap it up, but I want to just reflect back on the first day of the NCAA tournament very, very quickly. First two days, first round, I should say, of the NCAA tournament. Uh, tell me what you saw. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. I, I didn't feel like th- – there weren't really, you know, the great buzzer beaters. We didn't get the uh, – there were some good games, but it kind of a meh, you know, sort of a down opening to the tournament, don't you think? Yeah, I think that the <laughs> a lot of the the close games ended in – like free throw and miss contests. So those aren't, those aren't quite the endings that, that inspire the one shining moment. Um, looking right at the top of the bracket, I am surprised that the three ACC teams, Duke included, but also Virginia and North Carolina, all had uh, somewhat tight games going into halftime against their respective 16 seeds. Um, and obviously all managed to pull away. Big, <laughs> big love to Virginia for uh, not having this happen two years in a row. But, um, Gonzaga was the only number one seed that that sort of dispatched with their with their 16 seed at arm's length pretty much the whole game. Um, so a little surprised by that. Uh, otherwise, the uh, the great generally great performance by the Big Ten, who sent almost all their teams onto the second round, um, and then finally the um, the emergence, I guess, on the national stage of of Murray State's John Morant who everyone I think is now talking about and, and who was so dominant against Marquette. That was uh, that was a performance and uh, I'm excited to see him keep playing. But uh, yeah, like you said, Jason, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't like um, it wasn't like some years in the past where, where you have all these games that are like where there's crazy shots getting made or anything like that. It was really just teams sort of executing to the end. Uh, and, and unfortunately a lot of missed shots that, that sort of makes this less fun. Yeah, you know, by the way, uh, one crazy thing. The tournament's now half over. I mean, <laughs> we've played half the games that are going to be in the tournament. Which that, is is, kinda... that is how it works when yes. you have a single elimination tournament. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Um, I, I'm amazed. It's kind of cool. Every year they go, oh, the, the 5-12 game, the 5-12 game. Three of the four 12 seeds won. <laughs> I mean, the 12 seeds were doing it, and one of them is that Murray State team. Um, after John Moran's triple double, uh, there were people who were like, "Hey, is he putting his? Uh, is he is he sort of staking a name for himself? Is perhaps overtaking Zion as the number one pick?" And then Zion played, and everyone went, "Oh wait, what are we thinking? I'm sorry, never mind." <laughs> and the one what? and the one twelve seed that that didn't win came within a point of winning. That was New Mexico State. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very good game. I, I, by the way, uh, remember we we talked about um, when the brackets came out. We all were like, "Virginia has got such an easy bracket." Boy, did Virginia's bracket open up for them. Both the 12 and the 13 won there. Um, it looks like Virginia could reach the final eight, not playing a team seated higher than nine. Um, uh, you know, assuming that they win. Cavs, go ahead and don't embarrass yourselves, please. Don't embarrass the ACC. Can I ask a favor? Uh, Donald, what about you? What, what was what was your takeaway? What did you see in the, the first round of games that was interesting? Uh, so basically from here on out, from, from for the next, you know, umpteen tournaments, Whenever Virginia is in the first round and they're playing a, a team whose mascot is a dog, I'm picking that team that that has the dog because <laughs> uh, last year is the Retrievers. This year it was the running Bulldogs of Gardner Webb that almost almost pulled off the double shocker. Um, and, and have you honestly, ever seen? Hold on, Donald. Have you ever seen a bulldog run? I have. Um, Doesn't seem very inspiring. It's not inspiring, but you know what? They they almost had me fire a petition to kick. Virginia out of the conference because if they had lost yesterday, they couldn't have represented us anymore. They they would have had to gone to the like Atlantic Sun or something like that because we can't have that anymore. Um, and also, Tony Bennett probably would have been run out of town uh, by somebody. 
um, if that had happened twice. But fortunately for the Cavaliers and for Wahoo fans, it did not happen. I will note that, you know, going back to John Morant, all year he has been kind of this marvel that has kind of been overshadowed as a lot of guys in college basketball have been by Zion. But he has been consistently think thought of as one of the top five, six, seven picks in the NBA draft. Now people were asking me yesterday at the bar, do you think he's going to be one or two? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's going to be Zion and RJ. But John Morant probably, depending on who slides into that third or fourth spot, he's going to be there for the taking. And some team is going to do right by taking him because he is the real deal. He has been all year. And it was really good to see him shine in the NCAA tournament. It actually kind of was disappointing in my end to see him go against Marcus Howard because I have loved Marcus Howard's game all year too. Um, and he had 26 points yesterday or on set on Thursday and was overshadowed by John Morant. So, I mean, those are, that's how the tournament works, but yeah, we're, we're halfway done and we still got a whole weekend of basketball to go. Uh, you know, I, one thing I'll note is that other than UC Irvine, which took out um, Kansas state, every single one, two and three seed one, and only one of the four seeds fell. So the, the teams at the very top, you know, the, those those huge moments of the tiny team beating the team we'd never uh, – yeah, the team we never thought would lose. We didn't have any of that in this tournament. There were some it's close a, calls. Um, it, but yeah. And, yeah, oh, yeah. Teams just pulled away. Like, Iona was up at halftime, and, and because of Virginia, I think everyone was like, oh, well, this is this is going to turn on its head, and it, it surely did. Um, Colgate gave Tennessee a run for their money. Um, Bradley gave Michigan State a run for their money. So we had some great, really good really good performances from teams – um, that were the, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 seeds. It's just that, you know, very few of them actually pulled it off. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been pretty chalky so far with the exception of the 12s beating the fives. Other than that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's largely been what was expected. And, and it's worth noting that of, of those 12s that won, I mean, a lot of people were picking Murray state over Marquette. Anyway, a lot of people were picking Oregon over Wisconsin anyway, um, those two especially were were twelve over fives that I was like oh, I, I had both of those in 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 my brackets although my brackets are not doing well because I had some other teams winning that did not win but we won't get into that for now um, guys uh, I, we we're going to come back on Sunday so we're not going to do player of the game we're not going to do parting shots this was just an attempt to do a quick one to recap the first round folks Duke will be playing at five fifteen on Sunday against UCF not USF. We'll be playing UCF, and uh, I, I'm sure all of you will be tuning in. And after that game is over, we will have another podcast for you as uh, hopefully we, we're talking about the Devils moving on to the Sweet 16. Um, until then, I am Jason. Thank you for joining me with Sam and Donald and the Duke Band. will do its thing and play us home. <laughs>